I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by my co-host, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and of the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, welcome back to your show. Yeah, good to be on. Six games left in the regular season. It's all over. It's all downhill from here is what that band says that I forget. Newfound glory. That's what it is. Okay. Um, so on today's show, <laughs> we are we are going to talk about some Christian Arroyo. We are going to talk about some Tanner Houck. We are even going to force ourselves to talk about Nick Pavetta, um, a little bit of Matt Barnes, a little, little Cesar Puelo, um, and then we're going to get some listener questions. So let's get right into it. Um, Christian Arroyo. He has been playing second base for the Red Sox frequently uh, over the past few weeks. Um, and in doing so, he's played 11 games, amassed 37 plate appearances, and he's slashing 286, 324, 
571 with a 135 WRC plus. That's pretty healthy numbers for him. Um, certainly a lot more than I expected. Jerry Remy, uh, former second baseman for the Red Sox, is under the impression that he is going to be the everyday second baseman for your 2021 Red Sox. Um, first question to you, Keaton, is what have your impressions been of him so far? Yeah, my impressions have been that he's better than I thought, um, just like you. I mean, when, we, when they initially made this move and we talked about it on this podcast, it was kind of like a, well, he had prospect type, uh, never really got a chance in uh, San Francisco, never really got a chance in Tampa Bay. Maybe there's something there, really low risk, high potential reward for bringing him on. Um, and for that kind of move, he's definitely outkicked his coverage for uh, his contributions to the Red Sox. Um, but I mean, every day, second baseman, I don't know about that. Um, I, I mean, we talked on another <laughs> on another previous spot that Yaro Munoz kind of had the inside track to be in that like utility guy, and I feel like he probably would uh, be the opening day second baseman. Um, I guess depending on some like other moves that they do do for the outfield. Um, they also have Chavis still who they could throw out there. Um, and then potentially Jeter Downs, depending on um, how he does in the spring. Probably a little early for him, but I mean, I guess I could see it. I just probably don't expect it. I feel like they have um, other options here. I, I think that he's deserved to be like a, a rotational player going into next year and getting kind of some spot starts. But uh, everyday second baseman seems a little bit strong. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Um, I agree with you that at first glance, it feels weird to say Christian Arroyo everyday first baseman. And when I heard Remy say it, I was kind of like, what? Like, what are you talking about, man? Like, this dude, no way. Um, But then I kind of started looking into his numbers a little bit more, looking into his pedigree. You know, we already knew he was a first round pick, so there's obviously something interesting there. Um, I'm intrigued by the exit velocity being as good as it is so far in this small sample, 90.4 miles an hour. That is very good. Um, the hard hit rate has been exceptional for him as well. 44%. Um, he's not striking out an obscene amount, 27%. Um, that's a little above where his career norm rates are. Um, and he's hitting the fastball extremely well so far. Um, so far this season, 320 batting average, um, 600 slugging percentage, X slug of 461 against the fastball. Um, and last year, he slugged over 500 in limited sample size against breaking pitches and off-speed pitches. All of this is to say, I don't really know what his holes are. All I know is he hasn't been very good in the past. And last year, when he had a larger sample size than he had this year, he did struggle against the fastball. He's still been whiffing a lot against the fastball this year. Um, So I'm a little worried that he can be beat by a bunch of pitches. All that being said, when Matt and I were projecting our rosters for 2021, we both kind of had like journeyman type guys filling that role until Jeter Downs is ready. And we kind of presumed that it would be at least until the end of 2021, until he's ready to take that spot. 
So I guess I'm going to flip it back to you. Would it be the worst thing in the world instead of like bringing on an Astrubal Cabrera to run with Arroyo at basically no cost, see what you have. And then Yairo Munoz, if Arroyo sucks, like maybe Munoz ends up being your everyday second baseman. Uh, at least he can hit and Arroyo ends up being your utility guy. Yeah, it could be. I'm not. I'm just not sold on him as an everyday player yet. Even though you know, from what we've seen in this short sprint, it's been nice. I just I'm not sure that it's sustainable, and so I'd feel more comfortable with him um, in a bench role versus a starting role. But I can certainly see the path to him being the everyday second baseman with the Red Sox with what they have now, and particularly if they're doing this super cost conscious route then kind of letting Arroyo and Munoz fight it out would be would make the most sense for the Red Sox would you feel more comfortable with Munoz in an everyday role than Arroyo yeah huh so if they just flip that that might be okay or would you still prefer a veteran there um I'd have to see who's actually available, who might be able to fill it. But, you know, Scooter Jeanette's still out there. <laughs> you can keep talking about him. <laughs> yeah, Scooter, man. I think that ship has sailed. I'm going to eat crow on that one. Um, some other names that are out there. Tommy LaStella, probably not going to want to sign with the Sox, but maybe. Uh, Estrubal Cabrera, um, Howie Kendrick. There are a few names, but nobody, like, super sexy. Um so it might be a position they look to, to save a little money at. I would be fine with some sort of uh, Yairo Munoz or Royal Platoon there because I do believe that that is definitely a position in waiting. Uh, for Jeter Downs, I lean towards the fact that Arroyo has failed so far um, because there are holes in his game. Um all that being said, he is just 25 years old. So I, I am not a hundred percent writing him off. And I think he is probably the more interesting of the two players out of Munoz and him to give at bats to. I think Munoz is kind of what he is, which is a very solid utility player. Um, I think there's probably a little bit more potential in there. If you are able to plug some of those holes that a Royal might have. That's fair. That's fair. I guess it's still basically all this boils down to is that second base is still whole. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's going to be until until Downs comes in. Um, do you see them getting involved at the top of the market at this position and going for like a DJ LeMayhew and just forgetting about these types of roles? Or, or do you see them doing a, a more cost conscious move at second base? I don't necessarily know about cost conscious, but not a long term. Like I feel like DJ LeMayhew, they've signed to him, and he'd be probably looking for like a four year at a minimum. Yeah, uh, and having Jeter Downs not far away, I think they would probably go no more than two years on somebody, and probably more realistically one. Yeah. Um. So I mean, they could be involved in the top if someone is just looking for uh, a short term deal, but I guess I wouldn't expect it. I would think of more of like a bridge to Downs. Yeah, it's kind of how I feel about this as well. And, you know, if you were to roll with, you know, this current option we're talking about going with these two guys, that would be 
pretty much no cost, and then you wouldn't have to feel bad about making that transition if and whenever uh, Downs is ready next year. Um, all right, so let's give it a percentage chance before we move on here. Uh, percentage chance that uh, that Arroyo is the starting second baseman on opening day 2021. Percent chance. Uh, mm-hmm. 20. Hmm. That seems fair. Uh, I will go 30 just to be different, but I think 20 sounds pretty spot on. I saw him hit a home run against the Dodgers in uh, his rookie season. That was fun. Where was that? I was in San Francisco. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. Nice park. Yeah. It was cool. on like a Wednesday night, uh, and uh, I had some really yummy crab fries. Ooh, nice. All right. Well, let's get to the main event here. Uh, Tanner Houck, um had another really good start. This time it was against the New York Yankees. Um, I don't think we've had a chance to really talk about Tanner Houck since his debut. Um, Matt and I talked about him on our show, uh, the Over the Monster podcast, right after his debut. We recorded on Wednesday, and I believe he threw on a Tuesday of last week. Um, have you had a chance to watch either of his starts, and what do you like about him so far? What don't you like? Yeah, I did watch both of, both of his starts. Slider looks great, um, but all that, his, his sequencing, too, seems um, much more advanced than I had expected it to be. Uh, and being able to deceive guys, get swing strikes. Uh, I don't know how much of that is to like batters just didn't have any tape or anything um, to kind of know what to expect, but he seems to be fooling people a lot more than I would have expected from from just a rookie, which is really nice to see. Uh, Both of those starts are really impressive. The Marlins lineup um, is more difficult than than you would kind of think. Um, as evidenced by they're in the playoff hunt here. Uh, and the Yankees lineup, obviously, with all the guys that they had healthy and come back, uh, that was no kickwalk either. So they put up two really good performances against a couple difficult offenses to get some wins and uh, has only allowed one unearned run so far. So he's been really impressive. Yeah, he really has looked quite good. Um, and I have been most kind of impressed by the fact that he's been able to do this with uh, really just the the two offerings there um but he has two two different fastballs we we Matt and I kind of talked about this he's really got two different fastballs and he's really got two different sliders that he throws um so it plays up a little bit more he did throw a couple of splitters versus the Yankees um but it's still a pitch we haven't really seen a lot of yet um but I'm definitely more encouraged by his poise on the mound for sure um in the fact that you know, he's been able to succeed against a couple of pretty tough lineups. And I think the Marlins lineup, like you alluded to, is a little bit underrated as well. Um, you know, being able to do that is, is just very impressive. And the fact that he took a no-hitter into the sixth against the Yankees is pretty insane, considering um, that's a pretty much fully healthy Yankees lineup at this point. Yeah, that's a really difficult position to be in. Um, I guess, um, 
it was in Fenway, so it would have been with a Red Sox crowd. But um, I guess it really would have been thrown with the Wolves if there was an actual crowd there, because there still would have been, you know, Yankee fans there. But um, yeah, he's been impressive. I, I'm not sure um, if it's, I guess, uh, sustainable. Kind of as you alluded to, not a whole lot of mix to his pitches, and um, it's only two starts. So I know the the next I'm gonna kind of combine the next two points here in our agenda, but um, I want to I would like to see him get a spot in the rotation um, as to like a fourth or fifth starter, probably fifth, hoping they sign somebody, um, sign a free agent somewhere. Um, but I'd like to see him be given the chance. I think he's shown enough in these two starts that I'd be interested in him being a starter, uh, or at least them letting him have the chance. But I want to see if he can sustain all of the success deep into a season because he starts the next season with the Red Sox to be the most innings he's ever pitched at any level. So I want to see if he can actually maintain all of his stuff deep into his outings, um, start after start, or if he's you know more destined for a bullpen role. Uh, high leverage bullpen roll with that nasty slider. So um, I'm not sure it's sustainable, but I want to see him be given the chance to prove me wrong and have a, a, a start here or be one of the starters in 2021. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I also want to see him get a rotation spot um, coming out of spring training next year. I've seen enough that I think it warrants it. And I know that there's a lot of people who have, seen him quite a bit at double A AA and triple A and have made the judgment on him that he's got more of a reliever's repertoire and a lot of people that I really trust. But one of the things that I was kind of impressed by is the fact that he succeeded against New York with his fastball, basically down two to two and a half, sometimes even three miles an hour. Uh, in that start, his slider was down a couple miles an hour. His sinker was down. Like everything was down a couple miles an hour and he didn't really panic at all. He was just like, well, my stuff was down, so I threw more of my sinker today. Um, and I thought that was just a very veteran way to approach it. You know, he threw 40% four-seamers the first game, 40% sinkers the second game. Um, he seems to know how to pace himself, and he doesn't panic on days that he wakes up and he's not thumping, you know, 94. Um, and I think that happens to a lot of starters. And... I do think we get a little bit caught up these days in, oh, his velocity is down one mile an hour. Like he must be having Tommy John. And I just think that it's kind of like everything, you know, you go into the weight room one day and you're feeling super strong and you're putting up a bunch of weight and then, you know, you're down in your training cycle and you're not lifting that much. Uh, it's no need to panic. It's just kind of something that happens. And I liked that he was able to roll with that and it made me more encouraged that he's got a starter's mentality to him yeah and he knows when how to pitch when he doesn't have his best is something that we've seen guys like chris sale talk about and how he's still able to maintain his success uh so having that kind of mentality yeah you're right that's huge yeah for sure um if the splitter does come along i think that all of a sudden we're talking about him in an extremely different light though. Um, if, if that pitch can be a real pitch to him, um, given how nasty he is towards righties, I think that he's got like a three or a low end two upside, maybe not a low end two because of the command issues that he still has. He, he has trouble locating arm side for sure. 
um, with his fastball. Man, if he gets a weapon to get out lefties as effectively or close to as effectively as he gets out righties, that's a scary-looking pitcher. Yeah, it is. And, uh, I mean, the Red Sox seem to be picking up guys that have, well, I mean, Huck has been here for a while, but um, they seem to be putting a lot of focus on sliders lately, which is inter- interesting. Uh, and I'm, I want to see if that continues into the offseason, if that's something that is like a, a high and bloom thing where he favors pitchers with really nasty sliders and then just kind of work on the rest of the repertoire around that to make that like the, the standout pitch. So I'm kind of interested to see how this offseason goes for pitchers. Yeah, I'm interested too. I am. Um, okay, moving on from Tanner Houck. Um, Nick Pavetta. <laughs> Not exactly exciting. Um, he gets the start as you are listening to this on a Tuesday. Um, what are your expectations for Nick Pavetta? Low. Care to elaborate? <laughs> Very low. <laughs> um, I've never been one to believe in Pavetta. Um, he's had a lot of hype in the, the fantasy ranks over the years, and I've just never believed. I just don't think he has good stuff. Um, he didn't start this season off very well. He's got an ERA over 16 in the small amount that he's been able to pitch. Um, I don't know if the Red Sox can significantly improve what he's what he's offering here just in a short amount of time he's been here in a couple weeks. So I don't have very high expectations at all. I do not either. Um, I really, honestly, I I don't know what to expect um, from Pavetta. I just know that I'm not excited about it. Um, I think Matt's in the same boat as us, man. He's just not, not liking anything that he has. Um, Pavetta's four seam just gets creamed. Uh, that's the story. I mean, he had a Woba contact rate on that, um, in 2019 of, uh, 524 and he had a 655 in the limited time this year. Um, he gets crushed on lots of his pitches. He has a knuckle curve. That's okay. And a slider that's okay. But his, both of his fastballs are just junk. So I don't know how you can succeed without a main pitch you know you don't have to have your main offering be a strikeout offering as evidenced by martin perez who we will talk about later but you can't pitch off of just secondaries and unfortunately he hasn't been able to figure out anything for a main offering that just doesn't get annihilated so i don't know how this is going to work neither do i uh, I mean, this was another, um, like, low-risk, high-reward kind of thing. I just didn't see it as worth the effort, because I just don't think is a really good pitcher, um, either as a starter or a reliever. But, I mean, they've had success with transforming pitchers like Martin Perez, and you called that one from the beginning, so maybe they there's something here that they see that they can turn around. I just don't have much faith in it. Yeah, I don't either, Um, unless there's some development that we haven't heard about from the alternate site, which seems kind of impossible, given how uh, well that alternate site action has been uh, covered and broadcast and, you know, all the great 
coverage from that at Sox Prospects and everything. I feel like we would have heard about it by now if there was something new uh, there with Pavetta, but we'll we'll see. I mean, maybe he'll get lucky, but I think Pavetta is an arm that we could uh, see moved to somebody who believes in him a little bit more this offseason or transition to the pen full-time. I even have trouble seeing how his stuff would work in the pen, but maybe maybe with a little bit more of a bump in velocity from not having to start, he could make it work. I don't know. Yeah. Not enthusiastic about him. Nope. All right, let's talk some Matt Barnes. Um, heading into 2021, Matt Barnes has the closer job. Um, and since he has taken over as closer um, after the August 21st trade of Brandon Workman, he has a 3.75 ERA, 2.47 XFIP, uh, 18 strikeouts and four walks in 12 innings pitched. He's got eight saves over that time period, and he's blown three saves. Are you comfortable with Matt Barnes as your closer for this team in 2021? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. No, not really. Um, if he ends up being the closer, I think I can deal with it, but I'd like to see somebody else. Over the past two seasons combined, he is 12 for 24 in save opportunities. And last year led the American League in blown saves. Currently leads the American League in blown saves with four this year. So I wouldn't feel great about a, a closer whose conversion rate is 50%, who's led the American League in blown saves the past two years is the guy. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Um, and, and digging in a little bit further, I was looking at his hard hit rate this year. It's 40.7%. Um, there are basically no good relievers above him uh, in terms of hard hit percentage. It's it's not a great thing uh, for you to be a late inning guy and give up smashes at the rate that he gives them up. So, yeah, I've never been a big Barnes guy. I know... Matt will defend him till the cows come home, and he has some good traits about him. But um, for me, it's always been the command stuff with him is just way too loose and makes the other stuff play down. Yeah, and that's what the, the frustrating part is. Like he has good stuff. His curveball is really good. He gets a ton of strikeouts. He can throw heat, but it just doesn't translate to success. It's yeah. so frustrating. And I think it doesn't translate to success because he misses his spots so often. You know, yeah. it's just not effectively thrown. So I agree with you, Keaton. I'm not comfortable with him. Uh, I think there are enough intriguing um, relief options that are on the market next year 
uh, our own friend Jordan Rosenblum tweeted out uh, not too recently or not too uh, far behind us now. I can't talk right now. It's the end of a long day. Um, that there were like 15 or more teams that are actually losing their closers to free agency this year. And when you look at the list of relievers, there's actually a lot more than that that have um, closing experience. And when Matt and I were making our 2021 uh, rosters, I ended up picking Blake Trinan, who's having a bit of a resurgent year with the Dodgers to uh, be the Red Sox closer next season. Do you have anyone in mind um, for that position that you'd like them to maybe take a chance on or maybe a bigger name that they should sign? I mean, training sounds good. Yeah, I love that bowling ball sinker. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. I haven't looked to see who's actually available. Um, I'm actually like really buying into um, Phillips Valdez as like a high leverage reliever. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing him down the stretch get chances. Um, I don't know if I'd be ready to go into the start of the next season, but. Uh, maybe get him some more high leverage situations and see if maybe you can solve it that way. But uh, I love the sound of Blake Trinan, though. That sounds great. Mm. Let's do that. I knew you were into Blake Trinan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Cesar Puelo is up uh, playing a little outfield for the Red Sox while our boy Yairo Munoz is on the IL. Do you have any thoughts about Cesar Puelo other than being a warm body? No, that's pretty much it. I mean, there's six games left. There's nothing to play for. No need to, like, try and rush Munoz back for anything like that. So just toss a guy in there, see what you got. All right. Let's get to our listener questions. Our first one comes from our friend and podcast mate, Shelly Verstraight. She says, as of 531.19, Martin Perez had a 310 ERA, and he finished with a 512 ERA. Perez sits with a 388 ERA. We can't believe this. believe in this, right? I'm starting to think you were on a something, man. I'm starting to buy it. Like, every time Martin Perez' turn comes up in the order now, I'm thinking, all right, they got a chance. Here's a good start. And I'm shocked that that is my take. Yeah. Um, I do think we have something here. Um, the cutter usage that we saw last year that induced so much weak contact has not only continued, but it's actually gotten a bit better. Um, his Woba contact on that pitch last year uh, was 305, and this year it is 223. So that has gotten better. His exit velocity on the pitch has dropped by almost a full mile per hour to 84, which is extremely low. Um, he basically doesn't give up any hard contact with that pitch. Not only that, he's not really giving up any hard contact on most of his offerings. His changeup doesn't give up much. Uh, sinker doesn't give up much. His four-seam fastball, uh, even for that offering, um, you know, doesn't give up much uh, hard contact. He's kind of interesting in a lot of ways, and the changeup has become an outpitch for him. He goes to the changeup and cutter in two-strike situations most of the time. Um, man... Martin Perez has actually delivered, and more than that, um, he's been like an awesome guy too. I, I've been really enjoying his tweets and his anytime he gets a chance to like talk, um, I enjoy him. And his DRA 
a deserved earned run average, has dropped by a full run from last year from 4.73 to 3.73. So I'm even more in than I was at the beginning. Kind of like it. Yeah, and you were you were pretty into it in the beginning too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I became the Martin Perez guy, but you know, these things just happen. Um, but yeah, like this is the thing that I look to Nick Pavetta, and I'm like, you got to get one of these. You know, this is yeah. This transformed Martin Perez's career because you know he's a thirty percent uh, cutter guy and. Last year, he was a 25% uh, two-seam fastball guy on top of that, and uh, he has pretty much ditched his two-seam fastball and been throwing even more change-ups than ever before, and that has worked effectively for him. Well, he hasn't ditched it, but he's reduced the the usage of it, um, which has worked. So, I don't know. I, I think the Red Sox are really good at taking tweaks that other teams make and making them even better. Let's hope so. <laughs> I would love to not punch myself in the face every time Pavetta gets on the mound. Yeah. I mean, have you watched uh, like the last couple of Martin Perez starts? He seems confident. Yeah. He does. I kind of buy him as a four. Yeah. that's So Shelly and I talked about him on uh, one of the recent uh, pre-cap pods. And we both kind of agree that um, the situation that he's basically been thrust into this season is that he's their ace um, with the injuries to Eduardo Rodriguez and Evaldi. You don't feel great about that if he's your, your one, but if he's your three or your four, the production that you're getting out of him, that's fantastic. Yeah, I agree. Totally. All right, next question comes from another member of the Over the Monster uh, Network. Uh, Brian Joyner says, uh, do you think that Alex Spear will write a follow-up to Homegrown about how the Red Sox summarily dismissed players therein and generally humiliated the franchise, or do we have to do it? Well, there's only one, right? Because, like, Benintendi and Bogart's endeavors are still there. So it was really just Mookie. Yeah, I think he wants a book by Alex Spear about Mookie. Well, you know what I would be interested in? Is if someone could get like the the actual details, like sit John Lester, sit Mookie down, and sit the front office down, and get exactly what happened to cause those two players to not be on the Red Sox mm, after yeah. a couple World Series. That I would be super interested in. Like, not the, the PR... Um, we got a whole bunch of years of control and we cut a whole bunch of costs and we reset the luxury tax and all that. Like, did they actually want to resign him or was it always about the money? Which I think I know the answer to. I just want to hear him say it because I feel like they think that through this whole process, the fans are, are, have just been stupid, which I disagree with. So I just, I'd like to have them front office, Lester, Mookie, get everybody's sides of the story. I'd like to read that. Well, maybe they'll do a book someday. Uh, I will say Mookie ought to be uh, thanking them for the trade because he's on an amazing team. Looks like he's having a ton of fun, having his best year since 2018, and uh, on a World Series favorite. So his best it, year in a year. And he's well, he's paid now too. He's real paid. So 
I think Mookie is is uh, totally totally fine with the, what's going oh, on in his sure. life. Yeah, but it's still annoying though because I'd like <laughs> it to be happening here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, we all would prefer right field to be Mookie, but you know, it is what it is. Um, Creedy has our next question. He says, uh, presumably. Uh, what type of targets in the free agent market do you expect them to jump uh, right back over the tax threshold? Um, nope, I don't. I don't for 2021. I do think they're going to make some moves, though. Um, yeah. I think there's going to be one or two. I think there's going to be one big signing this offseason from the Red Sox, one like next good Red Sox team type piece. And I think there will be a bunch of mid-level signings. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, since the movie, the the Mookie deal, I've had my eyes set on 2022 anyway because it's a much better class, uh, and I expected the Red Sox to be much more competitive in 2022 than 2021. Um, kind of leave 2020 out of it because of just the weirdness of this entire season. Um, like not having a Rod Rodriguez does actually make a difference. Not to the point where I think they would like be in the playoffs, but there's still other things that just with 22 that's just kind of weird. But 2021, I didn't really expect them to do to be anywhere um, like contending for a World Series, but 2022 I did. Yeah. So I would expect this off season is more of kind of like plugging those holes in those mid level deals, like you said, and then 2022 I would expect them to spend big on something. Yeah, I think um, there's still a lot that needs to be figured out on this roster. After this short season in 2020, I, I still think they don't really know what they have in Bobby Dalbeck and potentially even Michael Chavis. I, I know what we have in Michael Chavis, but I, I feel like they might need some more evidence. Um, and then I, I think the Erod and JD Martinez situations are the two that I'm going to be looking at the most. That probably in Chris Sale. Like you need to see. Can Erod come back from the heart thing at all? And can he still be effective? Is Chris Sale going to be effective post Tommy John? And is JD Martinez going to get it back? Or is this what JD Martinez is now? Those are all three huge questions that I think are going to dictate a lot of what happens from a trade perspective and from a signing perspective in 2022. Yeah, I mean, those are major questions. Um, the Chris Sale one for sure. Like you would feel better about their chances in 2021 if he was there the whole year, but he's not going to be. It's probably going to be closer to like July when he comes back, and by then their you know their path for the season might be written. Um, JD Martinez, I ha- I've, I'm pretty confident in his ability to turn things around. Like he's a good enough hitter that this weird season caught him by surprise and not being able to get the information that he wants. Now he has an entire off season and spring training to put it together to figure out whatever whatever means necessary to get the information that he wants in game. And I think that he would be uh, a much better player next year. So I, I would imagine that's going to come back, but you're right. You, I mean, whether you can come back at all from myocarditis is a big question mark. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, if he can come back to what he was in 2019, and Chris Sale is Chris Sale again after the uh, for the for the second half of the season essentially. And Jay Martinez is solid enough that he'll opt in again for another year. Then twenty twenty two should be a pretty exciting year for the Red Sox. But it, there's just 
so many weird things coming out of this season going into next season that I wouldn't expect them to contend, but they should be active, I guess. Yeah, I, I expect them to be like a mid-80s winning team next year, or maybe maybe high 70s, but certainly I expect them to be over 500 um, as they start to iron up more of these things, because I expect that as they get more data, they're going to start making moves in order to be more of a contender. Um, and maybe that is difficult trades that they will go ahead and try and make. But, you know, I, I think that you'll see those more winning type of baseball moves uh, next season at some point. Yeah. Do you have a certain free agent or free agents um, that you see them targeting in 2021? Um, you know, any big signings that you're eyeing? No, I don't. So I have one um, that I talked about with Matt, um, but I think Marcel Ozuna makes a lot of sense for the Red Sox. That's a good one, yeah. Because I think Benintendi is probably gone. I I feel that way. I know that it would be selling low on him, um, but I just feel like they're going to find somebody who's still interested in him, and I feel like he's going to get moved. And so I feel like Marcel Ozuna can play left field there for a couple of years until JD is gone and then transition to DH. And I think they need a little bit more thump considering that outfield is a little bit light hitting. Yeah, that's a good point. I like Ozuna too. That'd be a good signing. I'd be, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, he's pretty damn good. Definitely killed us. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, Jacob Cordero says, is Hauk a right-handed clone of Chris Sale? High praise. Um, I don't I don't think he's quite there yet, uh, but he does have a really good slider, so it's promising. Yeah, it's got that same type of frisbee action. Um, yeah. His fastball and uh, changeup are not in that category, though, for me. Yeah. And the command. There's a lot that he needs to do before he becomes yeah. anything like Chris Sale. But, uh, you know, it's um, – I think the slider has a, a very similar action um, just from the opposite side. Now all we need is a, a ambidextrous pitcher who can throw that slider from both sides at the same time. <laughs> Pat Vin- Vinditti. Vinditti. Yeah, yeah that, that guy. Yeah. Is he still around? Uh, I don't know. I saw his name earlier this year. I'm not sure in what context, though. So, yeah, I don't know. That's fun. Jackson Posey getting in on the Tanner Houck stuff. He says, can we please get some mediocre Tanner Houck puns? Houck and sliders, Houck and a loogie, not a bass, but a Tanner. Oh, not a bass, but a Tanner. Um, Cliff Houckstable. Like base Tanner pun. Oh, it's a base tenor pun. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I needed a music guy to be able to tell me that. Um, <laughs> Keaton, I feel like this is really up your alley. Do you have any that you can come up with uh, on the spot? Oh, wait, Hedy, man. Uh, on his first start, uh, Matt uh, <laughs> tweeted that um, he had zero confidence in the bullpen's ability to hold the lead, but uh, he'd like to call, uh, like to call the takeout Hauk. When he was pulled, 
And it was, it was very rare for pitchers to feel confidence, but he pitched really good. And so I replied with, would you say it was a hauk of a debut for the kid? Yeah. And he said he would never say that. And I followed it up with, what the hauk? <laughs> I'm sure he really liked that, considering how much Matt likes puns. <laughs> yeah, he did not. Yeah. He did yeah. not find that amusing at all. No. I did, though. I enjoyed it. I like it. Um, Shane Bua, Maskware. What a responsible human. Good job, Shane. Uh, he says, if you were to sneak into Fenway during a game, which obscure player's jersey would you wear? I have a perfect answer for this, but I will let you go first. So the first one that came to mind was Hideki Okajima for me. That's a good one. Or Jason Bay. I love both of those players, especially Hideki. But for me, if you're going to cause mischief, which sneaking into a, a game is doing, um, I think you have to go with Julian Tavares. Oh, man, that is a good one. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's the answer. Yep. <laughs> I thought of it, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I missed that guy. Um, Louis L. has our next question, and he's kind of dogging you here. He says, who is this Bobby Dolbach that Keaton keeps keeping up, keep mentioning? Uh, is he related to Bobby Dahlbeck? Distant cousin, yeah. Uh, Uncle Jeff, he says, how are you guys celebrating Pavetta's perfect game? (laughs) I'll eat my shoe. Well, I won't eat my shoe, but I will, um, I will write a haiku about Pavetta and how great of a pitcher he is, and I will post it on the Twitterverse. Uh, even if Pavetta has a mediocre start let's just say pavetta gives up less than four earned runs in five innings uh i would i would write a haiku for him that seems fair happen all right well that's the podcast we do hope you enjoyed it um if you did um please go on rate and review us give us five stars tell us how great we are uh we always do like that also check out the other shows in our network matt and i record the over the monster podcast which comes to you on wednesdays typically um and my lovely co-host keaton derocher and the talented shelly verstrait record the precap podcast which reviews in recap recaps and previews i should say uh, all of these series this year's this year uh, and uh yeah in this show the red seat which is you know the best one um so uh please rate and review us subscribe to us tell your friends and follow us on twitter you can follow keaton at the spoken keats you can follow me at, at dev jake and you can follow the over the monster podcast at, at over the monster so thank you very much for joining us and we will be with you next week Bye.